He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice hello i'm charlie you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer c.e dorset and this week we are going to be talking to each other about myth and mythology this is a hard topic to approach when doing a spirituality podcast because so many people have a misunderstanding of what the word myth is we will be relying quite heavily on the works of the late great Joseph Campbell in this and to start off on the question for today which is what is a myth i thought we would start with an kind of a prolonged quote from the very beginning of Joseph Campbell's book thou art that where he discusses this problem and gives what i think is a very good answer to the question and then we'll go from there so Reading from the book. The first question I would be asked was always, what is a myth? That is a fine beginning for an intelligent conversation. In one city, however, I walked into the broadcasting station for a live half-hour program where the interviewer was a young, smart-looking man who immediately warned me, I'm tough. I put it right to you, I've studied law. The red light went on, and he began argumentatively. The word myth means a lie. Myth is a lie. So I responded with my definition of myth. No, myth is not a lie. A whole mythology is an organization of symbolic images and narratives, metaphorical of the possibilities of the human experience and the fulfillment of a given culture at a given time. That is a lie, he countered. It's a metaphor. It's a lie. This went on for about 20 minutes. Around four or five minutes before the end of the program, I realized that the interviewer did not really know what a metaphor was. I decided to treat him like he was treating me. No, I said, I tell you, it's a, it's metaphorical. You give me, you give me an example of a metaphor. He replied, you give me an example. I resisted. No, I'm asking the question this time. I had not taught school for 30 years for nothing. And I want you to give me an example of a metaphor. The interviewer was utterly baffled, and he even went so far as to say, let's get in touch with some school teacher. Finally, with some with something like a minute and a half to go, he rose to the occasion and said, I'll try. My friend John runs very fast. People say he runs like a deer. There's a metaphor. In the last seconds of the interview ticked off, I replied, That's not a metaphor. The metaphor is John is a deer. He shot back. 
that's a lie. No, I said, it's a metaphor. And this, I think, is what a lot of people don't understand, because if we want to be grammatical for a minute, what the, the original John is like a deer is actually a simile. It's not a metaphor. But this is not either the time nor the place to be all grammar-focused. The metaphor really is John is a deer. And once you understand that, you can unpack so much. Now, I need to start with saying, before I unpack this further, when I talk about mythology, I'm talking about any story, your parents, your grandparents, your friends, you tell, it can be in a book, a movie, a conversation, YouTube video, a meme on the internet, anything, whatever it is, when you are confronted with a story, you should look at it as a myth. It is a metaphor. Yes, it is denotatively telling you something, which means the words that are there mean something. But it is also connotatively telling you something. The way the words are arranged, the way the story is told, the way the imagery is presented, it is trying to really tell you something. And that is the power that mythology has. And it's a power that can be dangerous and even deadly in the hands of people who know how to wield it against a populace who doesn't know that it's being wielded against them. So back to the example Joseph Campbell gives, that John is a deer. Why does that work? What is it about this image that evokes so many things? Number one, it's the context. We're telling a story John runs fast. John is a deer. It's a very simple story, but it's the context that tells us the meaning of the symbol, the meaning of the myth, the meaning of the metaphor. Okay? So, if I were to just say, John is a deer, that can mean a lot of things. Think about it. John is scared of everything. John is a deer. Your mind immediately goes to the cliché, a deer in headlights. And so the meaning of the symbol, the meaning of the metaphor, John is a deer, changes. So the context informs the image. And the image is of primary importance here because when you look at it, if I say John runs fast, John is a deer, it brings up this image of a nimble creature running, jumping over obstacles, and being able to get away. Those are the images that come up because that's, generally speaking, the image we have of a deer. If I say, John is a deer in headlights, also a metaphor, but it brings up that frozen to the spot, vulnerable, and often at risk. Because we rarely talk about a deer in headlights when they're not in danger of either being hit by a car or shot by somebody who's spotlighting or something of that nature. So see how much more information is carried by this simple statement of John is a deer that comes to you through the metaphor in the context the metaphor is given. See, all of these things are important and all of these things have to be put together for you to get the full imagery, the full power 
of what's being discussed. All right. So when I say that you should do this for any person, any story, any time you encounter a story, at first that may sound cumbersome, but I assure you, because I've done this with a lot of people, it eventually becomes second nature so that you hear not only the denotative, the words that are being spoken, but you can see the connotative meanings of what is being spoken. What, what, what are they really saying? What is the meaning behind the words? Sometimes what is the agenda, but also sometimes what is that thing just out of reach that's behind the word that matters, that really matters. When we talk about the founding fathers, for example, here in the United States, when I make a simple statement like Benjamin Franklin is an American or Benjamin Franklin is a great American or Benjamin Franklin is a great American hero. And you can read that as exactly the words that I said, exactly the words. Benjamin Franklin is a hero. Benjamin Franklin is an American hero. Now, the difference between those is I've changed the context. And in changing the context, he's not just a hero. He's specifically an American hero. But by adding the word American and looking at this as a metaphor, I'm also trying to say that he is someone that people who describe themselves as Americans should be like. So if Benjamin Franklin is an American hero... You listen to the story that follows, and the story that follows will tell you the qualities that I am telling you an American should have. On the surface, I'm just telling you a story about Benjamin Franklin. But in reality, I am telling you a story about if you, if you want to be seen as an American under the definition I'm using, these qualities will be present in you. This is one of the ways that this method is often used sneakily in propaganda, but it's also one of those things that we don't notice our mind doing when we encounter any kind of story. For example, anytime you hear a story about a hero, your mind will superimpose you in the place of the hero. It just does this. And if you don't believe me, start paying really close attention to what's happening when you're watching that next Marvel movie or something, right? You start superimposing yourself into these stories. Now, in doing so, you are seeing your own traits magnified in them. Maybe they're traits you wish you had, maybe they're traits that you want to develop, or maybe they're traits that you actually sincerely have. The ones that you resonate to strongest are the ones are the the characters that have the traits that you resonate to strongest are the characters you're going to going to identify with more. But as you pay attention to the events of the story and how the story is unfolding and you see the metaphors opening up, you start putting yourself into this where you don't always do this consciously. And that's what I'm trying to get you to start doing is to start doing this consciously And you will find that these stories have an effect on you. It may not be a lasting effect. It may not be a profound effect. But it will have an effect either way. Okay? So, 
when we talk about religion, when we talk about mythology in terms of religion, this is where people get confused. Me saying that Benjamin Franklin is an American is a metaphor, is a myth, does not negate the fact that Benjamin Franklin was an American. It makes us look deeper into what does that sentence mean, into what is the meaning that I'm trying to convey there. So this is the first thing that we just completely have to get rid of in our context and conversation about myth, mythos, and mythic characters. When we talk about Jesus or Paul as myths, we know historically these people existed. Saying that they are myths does not negate their existence. Just like if I were to say that you are a myth or I am a myth. Okay? That's the first thing you just, you have to throw that out because that's some weird modernist garbage that got thrown into this idea that we can know everything strictly through science. And science can tell us facts, but they can't tell us what the facts mean. Like, seriously, what do they mean for you? Like, science can tell us the historicity of certain things, but the meaning and impact on you, that requires myth. That requires metaphor. That requires you seeing yourself in the story so that the story has relevance to you today. Okay? So, hopefully, that's gone. We're going to be continuing the series under the assumption that you have thrown that out of your head because it doesn't work. So when I talk about these events as mythic, one, I'm saying that they have a profound meaning that is deeper than what you might think was there on the surface. They have a meaning, a resonance to them that takes you deeper and deeper into reality. In Joseph Campbell's book, um, The Open Life and Open Life, he's being interviewed in here and he makes a very wonderful statement kind of on the same point. He says, myth is metaphor. The imagery of mythology is symbolic of spiritual powers within us. When these are interpreted as referring to historical or natural events, which science in turn shows could not have occurred, then you throw the whole thing out. The myth does not point to a fact. The myth points beyond facts to something that informs the fact. So what is that thing? Continuing on, he says, so there are two stages. One is going inward and finding the relationship of your deepest self to the ground of being so that you become transparent to the transcendent. The other is bringing this realization back into operation in the field, which is the work of an artist to interpret the contemporary world as experienced in terms 
of relevance to our inward life. So what does that mean? When you're looking at a story, when you're looking at any story, whether that's a story from the Bible or a story on the evening news, to extract the full meaning of that story, you have to open it up. You have to see beyond the words. Now, what does that mean? That sounds all spooky, right? I'm going to teach you a deep meditation technique. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm going to do at all. So let's talk about Jesus walking on water. This is one that when I have conversations with atheists, they almost always bring up. So do you believe Jesus walked on the water? Yes. I believe that Jesus walked on the Sea of Galilee. They then push and ask, so you believe 2,000 years ago, a man walked on the surface of the Sea of Galilee. Now, regardless what I believe, or what anyone else believes, that is the wrong question. I don't care. And I get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but it's true. I don't care. Personally, because of my own encounters with God, my own experiences with the divine and with Jesus, I'm willing to give the story the benefit of the doubt. But that doesn't matter. What matters to me is the point and purpose of the story. When you open the story up, so Jesus is walking across the water in the midst of a storm, and he calls to Peter, who's in a boat, come to me, Peter, come to me. And Peter Seeing Jesus walking on the water gets all messed up in his head. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So he decides he's going to leave the boat. He's going to go to Jesus like Jesus asked. Okay. So Peter steps out of the boat. He's got his eyes on Christ. He's got his eyes on Christ. He's walking across the water towards Jesus. Then he realizes in this wild, wild this wily coyote moment, I'm walking on water and bloop down. He goes into the water and Jesus reaches in, pulls him out and asks him why he has so little faith. And this is the story. And this is the story that opens up in such a brilliant way. The storm, depending on what's going on in my life, could be an actual storm that's raging around me. It could be a conflict in my family or amongst my friends. It could be when I'm thinking about the wars that are going on and the terrorism that's going on, whatever it is, the war, the water, the storm very quickly takes on that meaning. One way to look at this is the storm is the boundary between our conscious and subconscious mind, and he has to walk on the waters above that. So sometimes when I'm dealing with depression, the storm and the waters are that depression that are trying to pull me down. But the, the power of the story is what it's pointing to. As long as he kept his eyes on Christ, he was able to walk across the surface of the water. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he stayed up. As soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, he fell into the water. So what does that tell us? Does it tell us, Okay, then, literally, I have to always keep an image of the Lord in front of my eyes. Well, 
while I do own many statues and icons and crucifixes and what have you, no, it doesn't mean that I should walk with a cross in front of my eyes. It is a metaphor. It opens up. I should keep my eyes on Christ. Who is Christ? Christ is the one who holds the universe together, the Apostle Paul tells us. So in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the crazy, when all things are falling apart, if you are familiar with the story, it begins with this idea that they're afraid that the boat's not going to make it. All things are falling apart. The waves are going crazy. The clouds are going crazy. The water is falling from the sky. There's lightning. There's thunder. The world is going crazy. But if you keep your eye on that ineffable power, the word of God, the Debar, the living word of God that holds all things together, that interconnectedness, that very nature of all being that we are all connected, we are tied together, we are held together by the loving justice of God. You'll stay above the water, you won't fall in, the storm will not touch you and you will move through it. That could be a loved one being sick. That could be anything. But that's what the story is really telling me. Because historically, that's why the historical argument to me doesn't matter. Yes, okay, it's a nifty neat fact if 2,000 years ago a man walked on water. (laughs) That's nifty. But it does nothing for me right now. In the midst of my life, in the midst of all the crazy that is my life. But you see, when you allow the story to open up, to see what's really being communicated to you, as long as you keep your eyes on the one, that unifying, all-encompassing being that holds everything together that creates everything from which all things come. You can get through. You'll get to the other side. You'll stay on top of the water in the midst of the storm. Which, if you know your story, Jesus calms. It doesn't say he destroys it. doesn't say he dissipates it. doesn't say he waves his hand and everything magically changes. It says he calms the storm. So the storm that's in my life will be calmed if I can keep my eye on the Lord and have my faith and trust in him. That's what the story is trying to tell me. Keep your eye on the one that holds the universe together. Keep your eye on that. You'll get through it. It'll all be better. And that's the power of myth. That is is the power that we get from talking about these things as myth and from seeing them as myth and not having these petty, petty arguments over historicity. Because whether the only thing that matters, whether it happened 2,000 years ago or not, is the resurrection of Jesus. See, of all the stories in the Bible, that's the only one that matters. And it's the only one that I can give you the historical reasons you should believe it and blah, 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 blah. But the only thing that will really convince you beyond its metaphorical power is if you experience the power of Christ for yourself. If you have an experience of the risen Savior yourself. 
and I pray that you will have that if you haven't had it already. So arguing over it, quibbling over it, does nothing. Because the power is in what it means now. The power is that thing just beyond the words that moves us. So we're going to be talking about this a lot over the next week. And as we discuss it, we're going to break this down into the four functions of mythology. And that's what the next four episodes are going to be about. And at the end of which, hopefully, you'll have a better understanding of how all of this works. If not, you can always send me a question. My name, I'm Wisdom Cries Out on Twitter. Um, you can go to the website Wisdom's Cry for a repeat of this episode or any of our previous episodes. And if you click the podcast page, there's an Ask Me Anything box right there where you can email me. I will try to get back to you by email as quickly as possible. I might even anonymously answer your question on the show. Because I'm pretty sure a lot of people have questions about this. And I hope I've been helpful to you today. If I have, please share this episode with a friend. Let other people know that we're here. Share us on Twitter. Facebook, or whatever your favorite social media app is. The more you help us get the word out, the more people can possibly be helped by this. Thank you so much for listening to me today. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.